This sermon, It's Not About Your Marriage, Part 2, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, October 15th, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. Good morning, everybody. Please open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians 5. Same chapter we were in last week. And I just want to remind us, as I did last week, if you are not a wife this morning, please don't check out. This applies to you, whether it will equip you for the future or equip you to serve others. Um, This truth is for everybody in this room. Would you please stand with me? We're going to be looking at Ephesians 5. Verses 22 through 24, last week, of course, we looked at, at 25 through uh, 29. This morning, we'll look at 22 through 24, and then we're going to finish with a summary of the last two weeks from verse 32 and 33. But Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He is helping them to know how to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyday life. Listen to what he says to the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for already meeting us through the grace of singing. Through singing, our hearts are prepared for your word. Thank you for doing that. Now, Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to cast aside our own opinions. Help us to see beyond an inadequate preacher. And help us to understand and embrace and love your word, which is the final word on the matter of wives and their husbands. Do this, we pray, for our good, for the testimony of the church, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you gulped when you read the S word, submit, you are not alone. In today's culture, you know this, the mere mention of a wife submitting to her husband. It it conjures up images of a caveman dragging his wife by the hair. It conjures up fierce accusations of toxic misogyny. Alexander Strzok in his outstanding book, equal yet different, said the word submission can hardly be used in our culture without misunderstanding and strong disdain. 
It is loaded with negative, provocative connotations. And yet, submission is a biblical word and a Christian virtue. We cannot avoid it. We cannot avoid it because it's from God himself. And this is especially true in marriage. God, whatever the culture says, whatever your traditions have been, whatever your heart tells you, God sees it differently. Did you know, did you know, and if you want to know God's view, you open up the Word of God because the Bible is God's self-revelation. And did you know that everywhere in the New Testament that speaks about a wife's relationship to her husband, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, Titus 2, the verb submit is used. It can't be avoided. When we talk about a wife and her role in marriage, it cannot be avoided. And to add to that, nowhere in Scripture are those roles ever reversed. The husband is always called to loving, sacrificial, and understanding leadership. And the wife is always called to joyful submission to her husband's leadership. That's God's final word on roles in marriage. And we see that in our text today. The beauty and the glory of a wife gladly submitting to her husband's leadership. And by the way, Scripture never denigrates women. Scripture never denigrates wives. Even in this call to submission, Scripture holds up wives as beautiful and precious and critical to every husband and every marriage. Scripture holds up wives. If you're wondering, wives, what the Lord thinks of you, he sees you as his precious child. Scripture never denigrates wives. And so when we look at the Bible, what we see in regard to wife's role is beautiful and glorious. You might say it this way. When a wife gladly submits to her husband, she worships the Lord. That's what makes it so glorious and beautiful. A wife's complementarian role in marriage isn't an old-fashioned tradition or, or a form of barbaric oppression. When a wife embraces God's design for her marriage, she serves and she worships her Savior. And Scripture says it's a beautiful thing. Two points this morning to that end. First, what we see in our text is a horizontal command. But like we saw last week, Paul does quickly move to a vertical mandate. A horizontal mandate, yes, but more importantly, a vertical mandate, a, if you will, a vertical motivation is a better way to say it. So let's look at our first point this morning. We, we find, like last week, a horizontal mandate. There is a command here, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. In the Greek, that's an imperative. 
It's a command from God himself. Now, if we're going to understand that correctly, there are two words. Well, let me finish the verse here. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. Now, there's a couple words that we need to understand here, lest we get off in our application. If our understanding isn't right, our application is going to be destructive. Okay, so first you'll notice that he says a wife is to submit to her husband. That Greek verb there translated submit, it means literally to subject to or to take a subordinate role to the authority of another person. Now we tend not to like that, as I said earlier, especially if we're the ones called to do the submitting. In fact, people have tried to twist and, if you will, tamp down Paul's point here by by, uh, the point to, to call for mutual submission by, um, well, first of all, they go to verse 20 in an effort to tamp this down and make it seem to mean something that it doesn't mean. You'll notice in verse 20, the, the preceding verses, um, it says, he says, give thanks always and for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the preceding verse, just before the wife's call to submit, we see this, this verse that that seems to be more of a mutual submission. We have to submit to one another. And certainly that, that is true. There's, there's an, even an element of that in marriage. But, but here's what we have to ask ourselves. Is Paul saying two different things here? Is he contradicting himself? What is he doing? Well, listen, think about this. If the call to a mutual submission in verse 21 If it isn't qualified, if it isn't defined, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be chaos. And that's precisely what Paul is doing. This call to mutual submission, he then goes and explains what that looks like. Beginning with the wives, beginning with the wives, he he shows how to submit to one another, not in a a, a mutually absolute way, but according to the God-ordained roles and relationships that we find ourselves in. So Paul instructs us on Christ-exalting submission, i.e. verse 21, in different relationships. First, wives, this is what it looks like for you. And then he goes on in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, this is what it looks like for you and your relationship to your parents. He even gets out of the home and into the workplace in chapter 6, verse 5, when he says, and this is what submission looks like for employees to their employers. And so this idea of submitting to one in authority, it's not just about a marriage. We see it in many different areas of life. And so, yes, the word submit, yes, it means. It doesn't mean source. It doesn't mean origin, as some have tried to argue to, to remove that sense of, of authority from it. There have been, just start with Wayne Grudem. He did a, a, a word study, 2,336 uses of this Greek verb in, in, in numerous, different, numerous different sources. It still comes down to that word means to submit to someone else in authority. We can't avoid that. We can't avoid that. The second word that's critical to understand the application is in verse 23. Notice what he says, for the husband is the head of the wife. That's really 
the purpose for the submission to the husband. Why? Because the husband is head of the wife. He is her God-ordained leader. He is her God-ordained head. Again, over the years, there's been this aggressive attempt, particularly in liberal theology, to attempt to soften the idea of these two words. And when we get down to it, whether it's Greek language or it's the Greek culture, to be head of someone was to have authority over that someone. Now, that's God's design in marriage as well. Of course, verse 31 reminds us that the complementarian role of the man to lead in the home and the church, by the way, that's next week. What, what do these roles look like in the church? It's not rooted in culture. It is rooted in the creation order of Genesis 2. Remember how Paul summarizes all this in verse 31. Therefore, after instructing the women, the wives, and the husbands, therefore man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to the wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul realizes this is how God designed it from the very beginning. This isn't result of the fall. This isn't the result of sin. This isn't some man-made uh, idea that keeps women down and exalts themselves. No, that this is God's design. So what does this look like? What is this like? What, what Paul is very clear about is that wives, you are to submit to your husbands as your head. Well, let me just start by saying this. Wives, your role is to partner with your husband and your husband only. Remember the context here. It's marriage. Single women, you're not called to submit to the single man who sits in the chair behind you. This is, this is for one wife to one husband as his helpmate. And let me tell you this. This is where so often we get off when we hear that word submit. This is not a mindless task. It doesn't mean women don't think. It's not a mindless task. Biblical submission, as Paul lays it out here, does not mean, wives, you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you are a silent partner in your marriage without a voice. If you think that's what it means, you're wrong. Husbands, if you think that's what it means, and that's how you're applying it in your home, you need to talk to your pastor or someone, you need to repent. That's not what this looks like. True complementarianism, that is biblical roles of men and women, True complementarianism doesn't mean that, that you're forbidden to disagree with your husband or speak out apart from your husband. Paul is not saying, wives, you're like children who are called to obey their parents. That's not the idea here of biblical submission. That's hyper-complementarianism, and it is no complementarianism at all. It is not biblical. It is destructive. It is unbiblical. 
It grieves the spirit for husbands to treat their wives as if they are inferior and are just to get in line and do what they think is best. And that happens. I just know there, 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 have, been, there have been many times in my own marriage where, you know, there's a decision to be made. And I'm going to my wife because she's my helpmate. I'm going to ask her what she thinks about the situation and what we should do. Because after all, we're partners. But really, inside, I've made up my mind. (laughs) And if there is any pushback, if there is any objection, I'll listen. But I've made up my mind. In other words, I'm going through the motions But actually, I'm dominating my wife. I'm not understanding how important her wisdom and her input to me as a husband leading my home is. I can't do it on my own. She's my, remember Genesis? She's my helpmate. That that implies I need help. (laughs) That implies I can't do this for for myself. That implies God didn't intend for me to do this by myself. He said, it is not good that Derek is alone. (laughs) He needs a wise wife. He needs a wife who can come alongside of him in his own weaknesses. A wife who has her own strengths and wisdom and can help Derek make better informed decisions. But we do that. Men, husbands, we, we have to be careful that that is not complementarianism. Wives, if your husband is leading you into sin or stubbornly leading you into a supremely unwise situation, don't submit. You're not called to submit. You do not follow your husband into sin. You don't submit. There are times when husbands aren't fit to lead spiritually. And I've had to tell wives, you need to lead your home. There are times when a wife doesn't submit and it honors the Lord. Now, you need to seek out counsel. But don't submit if your husband is leading you into sin. If you're in that situation right now, wife, I appeal to you. Reach out to your pastor. Get help. If you don't feel physically safe in your home, reach out to your pastor. If your husband is domineering, reach out to your pastor and get help. That is not the way God intended it. You are not a doormat. You are a precious daughter of the most high God. And he, yes, has called you to submit joyfully and willingly to your husband. But that does not mean you're a doormat. That does not mean that you are to be left open for emotional and spiritual and physical abuse. Don't, 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 don't misunderstand that. There is a time, wives, when it honors and glorifies God, and I would actually argue, in the end, hopefully will serve your husband. That you do not submit. 
If you are married to an unbeliever, that can be tricky. (laughs) Come talk to your pastor for help. If you... You get the point? Come talk to your pastor. Come talk to the ones who the Lord is holding accountable for your soul, the ones called to shepherd you. Husbands, that isn't a behind-the-back thing. We got this. No. You're probably going to come talk to a pastor and his wife. Get help, though. Get help. Listen, the idea here in this horizontal mandate is that a marriage is a loving intimate, covenantal union between a man and a woman. Co-heirs. Co-heirs with Christ. Equally created in the image of God, yet different in their roles to complement one another. That means that there is a necessary interdependence and yes, a degree of mutual submission, verse 21, in marriage. For the wife and husbands, we need to lead our wives through this. They need to hear this. For the wife, that means using your strengths and your skills and your wisdom and your understanding and your perspective and your compassion and your love that God has given you to help your husband as he makes decisions, as he leads your marriage, as he leads your home in a Christ-exalting direction. Now, the reason for the mandate in verse 22 is rooted and motivated in something that is out of this world. It's out of this world. Like his teaching on husbands, Paul doesn't want wives to see their role in marriage apart from the gospel. And that's our second point this morning, a vertical motivation. There's this, there's this horizontal mandate. It means what it means, church. Doesn't matter what the culture's telling you. Doesn't matter what the news is telling you. Doesn't matter what the internet is saying. Doesn't matter what, what your classmate down at the university is saying. Doesn't matter what your professor is saying. Doesn't matter what your heart is saying. God has spoken as a wife. You are called to biblical, Christ-exalting submission to your husband who is your head ordained by God himself. But then there's this vertical motivation. Let's just read the whole text again. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to her husbands. Paul says a wife should submit to her husband. As to the Lord. Paul, thank you for the clarity right up front. As to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, he tells us in the following verses that we read by pointing us to the model of Christ in his church. Look at it again. What what does he say? As to the Lord. And then he goes on to say, Christ is the head of the church. And as the church submits to her head, Christ, well, why is that your pattern? That's your pattern. Wives should submit to their husbands. God made that Christ is the head of the church. God made him 
the head of the church. Not man, not me, not Tim and Tom, not the Pope. Christ, God made Christ the head over all things, including, and the most glorious expression of his headship, over the church. That's Ephesians 1.11. As her head, Jesus lived, and he died, and he rose again for her, the church. As her head, he ascended back into heaven. As head of the church, Jesus sent the Spirit to protect and provide and nourish the church with the word and power of the Spirit. Jesus is, the, is building the church even right now through her gospel testimony, which I would submit to you in this day and age, our marriages are a tremendous part of that testimony. Jesus cherishes the church. He doesn't dominate her. He's not a taskmaster with her. He cherishes her church, his church, continually interceding for her, praying for her with eager anticipation, standing at the ready of the throne of God to return for her. <laughs> and finally live with her in his glory forever. That's what the head of the church gives himself to. In turn, the church follows Christ. She devotes herself to him. She abides in him. She longs for him. She cherishes him. She trusts him. She celebrates him. She submits to him. Just as the church submits and follows Christ, so he protects, provides, and nourishes her. A wife submits and follows her husband. To use Paul's words in verse 24, notice what he says. In everything. Not just what you agree with. <laughs> Not just what is in keeping with, with those dreams and plans you had when you were 17 years old. This is the way it's going to look. My prince is going to come riding in and we're going to have this and we're going to have that and we're going to do this. Paul says, and everything. Now, can we be clear here for a moment? When he says, Wives, submit to your husbands everything. He's not saying that you are to submit to your husbands exactly as you submit to Christ. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. Husbands, we have to be careful and mindful and alert to those ways that we might be leading our wives and creating expectations of them that in effect cause them to idolize us. We are not their savior. We are not the Holy Spirit to them. Marriage is not about a husband being worshipped by his wife. So we have to be careful. So when he says it follows in everything, 
everything that is good and right in accordance with God's word. And idolatry is not. Ladies, be, th- 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 this is important. This fits into your husband, and, and, and it's easy. Why? It's easy. You, wives, you, you, want, you love your husbands. You, you want to please your husbands. You want their affections. I think wives are very vulnerable, particularly uh, you know, in a hyper-complementarian household to just sit at the feet of their husbands as if their husbands are everything and they're nothing. But, but wives, I want you to remember something. Before you are a Christian wife, you are a disciple of Jesus. If you write anything down, write that down. <laughs> Before I am a Christian wife called to submit to my husband, who is my God-ordained head. By the way, if you're here this morning and you missed last Sunday's sermon, to rightly understand that word head, you need to listen to last week's sermon. <laughs> but, but you are a disciple of Jesus above all things. We heard this morning, you are a new creation in Christ. And as a disciple of Jesus, you are called to an absolute and complete submission to him. And that includes your submission to your husband. Because ultimately, it's a submission to Christ himself. So when Paul says, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, he means a wife submits to her husband as an expression of her submission to the Lord. It's not two separate things. Your submission to your husband is just one context in which you have the privilege to submit yourself to the Lord and his plans for you. So as you submit to your husband, you're you're really ultimately submitting to the Lord. And that should be precious to you. As a Christian woman, God has made you a Christian wife. And submitting to your husband is a part of your unique worship. Listen, somebody told me this one time. First it threw me, but it makes sense. That There is no such thing as a Christian. And this is important. This is important. There is no such thing as a Christian. You are either a Christian man... Or you are a Christian woman. And depending on which one you are. And listen, this is, what, this is what our increasingly liberal brothers and sisters want to create. This is what we see happening in the culture. We're just going to blur all the lines. And we're going to call each other human beings. <laughs> right? There's no difference. That's at the heart of the egalitarian view. There's no difference. It's just mutual submission. God sees everybody the same. Well, he sees everybody the same in the sense that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. But he has created men and women different. We've been talking about that over the past few weeks. That's clear. And if you are a Christian woman, if you are a Christian wife, Scripture speaks to you differently than it does your husband. It speaks to you differently. As a Christian woman who is a wife joyfully submitting to your husband. That's an aspect of your discipleship. That's an, your husband is not called to that with you. That's not an aspect of his discipleship. The, as a Christian husband, 
he's unique in that he's called to lay down his life for you. He's called to love you sacrificially. He's called to love you with purpose. He's called to love you with a gentleness and a, and a cherishing attitude as Christ loved the church. And so keep that in mind. You have a different calling than your husband. And here's what that means. That, that means biblical submission to your husband is more about you and God than you and your husband. It's not really about your marriage. And ultimately, it's not really about your role. It's about following Jesus as a Christian woman. It's about following Jesus as his disciple in accordance with God's design for you as a wife. So if that's true, and I believe it is, then to resist submitting to your husband is to resist submitting to Christ. On the flip side, when you see your God-given role as beautiful and you embrace it with faith, when you pour yourself into it with joyful contentment and a, and a genuine dependence on the Holy Spirit, it's worship. You're serving the Lord, not your husband. You're serving the Lord. You're serving your Savior in just the way that he wants you to serve him. Ladies, married or not, everything I just said, every word of it, the culture adamantly rejects. The culture scoffs at. Increasingly, the biblical role of the wife is denigrated in our culture, looked down upon. If you believe what we've just talked about, you, well, you're part of the problem. You're an oppressor yourself. Our young women today are being taught from a young age that submission, well, that is created by men who want control. That's an expression of a systemic oppression that, that hinders your progress, that, that hinders everything that the feminist movement has, has get all the ground that they've gained. Wrong. Wrong. I don't care how smart the person on the internet that's teaching you that is. They're foolish. Scripture would say, you're a fool. And I say that humbly. I'm not even the smartest one in this room. But I know what God's word says. So wives, persist in truth. Stand in grace. Believe that when you recognize and embrace biblical marriage roles, listen, I can't tell you 
anything more glorious for your life than this, ladies. When you recognize and embrace biblical marriage roles, you reflect the church, the, 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 the apple of, of Jesus' eye. You reflect the church as you willingly and joyfully follow your husband, just as the church follows her head, Christ. And it is good. You will find joy in that place. It is beautiful. You will find contentment in that place. It is the way it has always been and always meant to be because it's God's design for you. No matter how you were raised, no matter how well this has went for you, I tried that, Pastor, it didn't work out. Probably a combination of you and your husband's hearts. Not that God's word is an, is, is an error. Stand, persist in truth, and stand in grace. Now, just a few things. A few things that I think you can do to cultivate this. First of all, wives. And by the way, husbands, you need to, we need to lead our wives in this, okay? Don't, don't leave here and go, okay, make sure you do those things that Pastor Derek said. No, you come alongside your wife and say, okay, so let's talk. Wives, know your calling by studying it. And, and, and there are plenty of resources, but just, you know, the culture speaks loud enough. But as Christians, we always have to say, but what, ask, but what does God say? Begin with Proverbs 31. And begin with, take advantage of the community group assignment coming to you soon. Of, uh, of reading and discussing your roles from love that lasts. Read those with your husband. Read your chapter with your husband. Go to community group ready to talk about it and be vulnerable and be honest. It's okay, the spirit is changing everybody. Know your calling by studying it. Don't take my word for it. Go be a Berean. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so, but. <laughs> Two, transfer the truth. Transfer the truth. This is a major concern of mine and the teams today, not just in the church, big C, but in our church, little C. Is the truth of Titus 2, is the truth of biblical roles being transferred to the next generation? I'm not sure it is, at least not in the way that we it should be. Transfer the truth. Be a Titus 2 wife. Find another woman, married or single, young or old. By the way, don't buy into that. She has that the older woman has to disciple the younger woman. Yes, that's biblical. But a younger woman can disciple a older woman. That's biblical. Find another woman. Married or single, pass on what you have learned about submitting to your husband. Single women, humbly listen to the older women in your church. Don't be proud. Don't think they're old-fashioned. And don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. You need help. You need help. Understanding what this looks like. Understanding how it's fleshed out in your life. The older women aren't old-fashioned. They're biblical. Now, maybe being biblical in this world is becoming old-fashioned. Call me old-fashioned then. 
I'll be old-fashioned until I die or Christ comes back. There will be a lot of old-fashioned people in heaven. <laughs> Let me give you a word of caution here, ladies. As you transfer the truth, be careful what you're transferring. Transfer the biblical truths of complementarianism, not your practical application of them. When we do that, listen, it's okay to share this is how it's worked out in my life, in my marriage. But when our emphasis, when all people hear from us is the practical, um, we then are turning the practical into truth. And there is no power there. There is no hope there. The call to transfer truth, the Titus 2 call, is not tell women how to make good dinners how to keep a clean house. That is not, that might somewhere fit in there. That is not what it is, though. You transfer truth to them. And to whatever degree it helps them in their situation, in their context, you might have some ideas to offer them. But if all they hear is the practical instruction, you're not serving them. In fact, you're hindering them. Be cautious about what you transfer. Third, don't be surprised when submission gets difficult. Uh, the implication of the doctrine of man and sin, of the doctrine of man and sin, uh, is that wives, you, your husbands are going to make decisions, and they're going to lead in ways that you disagree with. And because of your own sin, your inclination will, to be, will be to resist your husband at that moment. When you do, remember Christ's mercy is more than your sin. Remember, the Spirit's power is sufficient for your need. This is why, wives, you need to ask God daily to fill you freshly with His Spirit to, to, to be the wife God has called you to be. Husbands, there's a challenge here for us as well. There's a challenge for us as well. I'm going to submit something to you. Christ is building His church. Agree? Yes, we do. He saved you and your wife. And the moment he did that, he added you to his church. Your salvation is not only individual, it is collective. You have been added into something. You are one flesh with your wife as you are part of his church this church, uh, please, especially if you're visiting, let me say that differently. I'm not saying this church is his church. It is. But you know what I mean by that. This local church is an expression of his church, universal. You know what that means? That means your church is the home for your marriage. Here's what I mean by that. I'm going to borrow from the book Love That Lasts. Your church, this church, is the place your marriage exchanges independence for humility. As you live out your marriage in the context of your local church, as you bring people in to your marriage struggles. Your church is the place your marriage is fed and supported by truth. 
Because your marriage is getting all sorts of voices out there all week long. You come in here on Sunday, your marriage needs to hear this. Your marriage needs to hear the singing of the saints. Your marriage needs to be serving. Your marriage needs the truth of God's word. Your church is the place your marriage is helped in times of struggle and difficulty. If you are single, your church is where you learn and prepare for true marriage. It's your church. It's, it's not the therapist's couch. It's not the internet help groups. It's not the book club in your neighborhood. It's your church. It's your church. Husbands, are you leading your wives to your church? I don't know what Donna and I would, where we would be without our church. I don't know where we'd be. And I know some of you can say that about this church. And yet at the same time, Sunday seems so easily to just move off our plates. Whether it's traveling or I'm not feeling, I'm just tired, or family's in town. Get in church! <laughs> Your family, they'll be okay. Bring them with you. They need to hear it just as much as you do. Listen, there will always be struggles in your marriage. After all, a marriage is a union between two sinners. <laughs> but I want to humbly submit to you, if your church isn't the home for your marriage, don't be surprised when your marriage struggles even more. You have no reason to believe your marriage will get better if you are separating yourself from the church. By God's design, the church is the home for your marriage. If you find yourself with people, you're, you're just going to start hearing this from me. Pastor, struggle with my wife. Let me ask you a question. There's more to talk about. Let me, are you, how easy is church off your plate? Let's start there. Come to church. The Holy Spirit is here. He's at work powerfully bringing conviction and change through the preaching of God's word that is active and living and alive. To sing with the saints as we did earlier fills my heart with hope. To hear the prayers of my fellow brothers and sisters reminds me there is a God that exists. To see a struggling husband and his wife pushing through by the grace of God and being in church with joy reminds me, oh Lord, I can do that too by your strength. The local church is the home for your marriage. Now I want to end where Paul ends this whole thing. Um, bringing the husband and wife together. We've looked at verses 22 through 24. Husbands submit to your husband. Wives submit to your husbands. Verse 25 last week through 29. Husbands love your wives sacrificially and with gospel purpose. And look how now having spoken to both parties. 
Look at how he summarizes, how he wraps this up. If you will, he puts a bow on the package of the teaching. Verse, look at verse 30. I'm sorry, 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Gary Ricucci writes, the relationship between a husband and wife is meant to be a reflection of Christ's relationship with his church, a living parable of the supernatural union between Jesus and his bride. That is a staggering truth. In marriage, the husband has the sobering responsibility and magnificent privilege to reflect Christ and his love for the church. And the wife has the sobering responsibility and and, and marvelous privilege to reflect the church and her submission to Christ. And in that, as imperfect as it is, and it is imperfect, isn't it? The gospel is declared. The gospel is preached in a, in a sense. The glory of God and his unmatched wisdom and his mercy all reflected in your marriage. And that means that your marriage is not about your marriage. It's about God filling the earth with the glory of his wisdom and the mercy of his love. Yes, through your marriage. Listen, that should bring us to our knees, but it should also flood our hearts with hope because the very thing at the heart of your marriage is the gospel. The gospel is powerful enough to transform your marriage no matter where it's at. As a worship team comes up, I want you to listen to to Gary Ricucci in his book, Love That Lasts. No matter what condition your marriage is in, no matter what burdens you this morning about your relationship with your husband or your wife, no matter how well you have walked in your roles, the gospel brings hope. Gary Kucha writes, because of the gospel, Christians have become new creations. Therefore, in our marriages, our past does not define us, confine us, or determine our future. Because of the gospel, we are forgiven. Therefore, we can live free of all guilt and condemnation for every sin, and we can trust that God and his mercy will be gracious to us. Because of the gospel, we can forgive just as God forgave us. Nothing done against us compares to our sin against God. Therefore, all offenses, all hostility, all bitterness between Christians can be completely forgiven and removed. Because of the gospel, we are accepted by God. Therefore, we are not dependent on a spouse for who we are or what we need. Because of the gospel, sin's ruling power is broken. Therefore, we can truly obey all that God calls us to do in our marriage, regardless of the circumstance or situation. 
Because of the gospel, we have access to God through Christ. Therefore, we can at any time take any need in our marriage to the one who can do all things and be assured that there will be mercy and grace, just what we need. Because of the gospel, we have hope. Therefore, we can endure marital difficulty, hardship, or suffering with the assurance that God is working all to our greatest good. Because of the gospel, Christ dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are confident that God is always with us and always at work in our marriage, even when progress is imperceptible. Is that you this morning? Is progress imperceptible in your marriage? Because of the gospel, the Spirit is at work in you. Because of the gospel, we have power to fight and overcome remaining sins which continue to dwell and war within us. Because of the gospel, therefore. Because of the gospel, therefore. Because of the gospel. You have hope. You have a future. You have freedom. And you can have great joy in your marriage. Nothing is more critical, essential, and hopeful to your marriage than believing the gospel is powerful enough for your marriage. When you believe that, when you believe your marriage is a living parable that produces joy in your heart, it will produce joy in your heart. It will shine truth to the world. And yes, your marriage will bring glory to God. Let's sing.